Today's episode is brought to you by Conspiracy Theories. Why is it called the Leaf Shield if it doesn't block anything? Can you, in fact, defeat Airman? Is Dr. Wily actually an alien? Or is he just eight children in a trench coat? We'll dive into those mysteries and more in 1989's Mega Man 2 on this episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello again, and welcome to the second episode of What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Carlisle, and this podcast is my chronicle of playing through as much of the Mega Man series as I can take, from Mega Man 1 through Mega Man 11, and as many of the hundred plus games in between as I can. Today, we're jumping forward a year, or maybe two, for the release of Mega Man 2 on the Nintendo Entertainment System. It was late 1988 in Japan, almost exactly one year after the original release, but it was 1989 in the US. Whichever region you want to consider release dates by, this leaves a one-year gap on either end where there would actually be no Mega Man game released, and that's, that's actually kind of interesting and worth noting because it's going to be a very long time before we see a single year go by without another Mega Man game appearing. By modern standards, that might be a surprising statement, considering the amount of time it takes for a game to be produced and released in modern standards. But it's worth remembering that NES games were oftentimes 100 kilobytes of memory or less. I have written text files longer and larger than certain NES games. So having games released pretty much every year was actually not that unusual. With Mega Man having been a decent enough success, Capcom decided it was okay for the team to go ahead and do another game, and they did. What they probably didn't expect was to end up creating what is oftentimes heralded as one of the best games on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, whether that's true or not, we're going to kind of dig into, and we'll have to look at retrospectively when we've got a little bit more experience under our belt. But from the moment that you boot up Mega Man 2, you'll be able to see that there is a drastic jump in quality compared to the first game. For instance, we actually have an intro sequence this time, detailing the fact that Mega Man beat Dr. Wily, but now he's back, this time with eight robots of his own creation. As you get a cinematic panoramic shot, scaling up the top of a skyscraper until you see Mega Man on the top, and the title logo pops up, Mega Man 2, or if you're in Japan, Rockman 2, The Mystery of Dr. Wily, because weirdly they decided to subtitle a lot of the Mega Man games in Japanese, which is a tradition that did not carry over into English, and has always kind of surprised me that that's not a thing. Uh, Other things that are immediately noticeable as we just jump right into this game. Right on the title screen, there is actually a difficulty select, and this is one of the few early Mega Man titles to have a difficulty select. This is only present in the localized releases of the game. The difficult mode is the original Japanese release of the game, while what is offered as normal difficulty actually doubles the damage that you deal to basically everything in the game, making it generally easier for you. Although it's worth noting, there's a lot of stuff that can instant kill you in this game or otherwise be more dangerous than just the amount of damage you deal, 
So exactly how effective this difficulty change was is kind of up for debate. Also, before we even see our robot masters for this game, we get to see a password system is around this time. In Mega Man 1, there was no password system. You had to beat the entire thing in one sitting. This time around in Mega Man 2, you can actually get a password for every boss that you've defeated and pick back up where you left off. This is probably a good thing. On the whole, this game is a little bit more difficult than the original was, and some would argue very, very much more difficult, but I don't really think it's as hard as, as some of its reputation has stated it is, but we'll be getting to that. Mega Man 2 also features uh, a few things that would also become staples elsewhere in the series. One good example of this is mini-bosses mid-stage, uh, singular large enemies that basically exist to block your progress. This is also the first game in which changing weapons on Mega Man caused him to change uh, outfit color. He is no longer solely the Blue Bomber. This is also the first game to introduce the E-Tank, or the Energy Tank. Picking these up during the stage does not actually refill your health immediately. Instead, it stays around in your inventory, and you can use it at any time to fully restore your health. In this entry in particular, getting a game over does cause you to give up any energy tanks. You can only hold four of them, and only energy tanks exist. There is nothing for weapon energy, which we'll get into that. That, that was a thing. But nonetheless, the ability to pick up something that gave you an edge during boss fights or just in a panic situation really does make a decent-sized difference in the difficulty of this game. There isn't really a need for me to go back over the basics of how Mega Man works, because we covered a lot of that in the first game, so let's just jump right into discussing the new way Robot Masters and their stages and boss fights and all the good stuff. <laughs> The first stage we'll cover this time is Metal Man stage. Metal Man stage is probably one of the stages that best displays the upgrade in just visual tech between the two games. The backgrounds are very animated and dynamic in a way that was not present in the original Mega Man with its very static stages. The enemies are made of multiple pieces as opposed to like one singular sprite. It's a very simple stage, it's not hard, it's a good starting stage, uh, and Metal Man himself at the end of the stage is a very good first boss to take on as well, while the conveyor belt on the floor flipping back and forth can make things a little bit awkward as a player. All Metal Man really does is just jump up and down and occasionally throw blades aimed in your direction, and if you get too close to him, he'll jump over your head to the other side of the arena. It's really good that uh, he's a very simple boss, because he does give you one of the most valuable weapons, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, the next stage I will mention is Bubble Man stage. This is, this is the first game in the series to actually feature the water physics that would become standard for the series. There were water stages in the first Mega Man. Uh, Iceman stage had you going underwater a bit, and one of the Wily stages had you going through a tube that was busy flooding. But Bubble Man actually standardized the idea that while you were underwater, Mega Man's jump height would increase and he would also fall a little slower. In essence, you were dealing with a low gravity situation while you were underwater. Naturally, that means that they put spikes on the ceiling to penalize you jumping too high, but Again, this is a very simple, very accessible, very easy stage, which is which is good. There needs to be some easier stages to tackle in order to get some weapons under your belt. Similar to this, 
Bumpman almost has an Iceman-like pattern where he just like tends to jump up and down and throw out a couple projectiles as he floats and it's it's very, very simple. The only actual danger in Bubble Man is that if you're not paying attention, you might jump too high and hit the ceiling and die because spikes on the ceiling. But those are honestly more there to intimidate you than actually endanger you. Also on the docket of very, very simple stages is Flashman stage, which is a very... Um, this is where the stages start to get a little bit abstract. In the original Mega Man, it was worth noting that all of the Robot Masters were supposed to be robots built with a specific industrial purpose. In Mega Man 2, that's not the case. They're Dr. Wily's invention specifically created to fight Mega Man. It's also worth noting, and this is, this is really interesting... Um, Starting with Mega Man 2, tons of Mega Man games have actually designed their Robot Masters by having essentially an open contest for people to submit the designs. If you look in the credits of any classic Mega Man game from 2 onwards, you will actually see every Robot Master listed with a name, and that name is the person who actually designed the Robot Master. What this resulted in is certain bosses that are a little bit more abstract, and conversely stages that are a little more abstract, and Flashman stage is best described as you're trapped inside of a limestone disco ball. <laughs> least visually it's a, it's a very very animated stage um, but it is a very simple stage in design it is a lot of tight almost kind of maze-like corridors a lot of opportunities for you to end up accidentally just walking into a dead end and having to walk backwards if you have the crash bomb from one of the other bosses in the game you can blow down a lot of barriers in the stages but otherwise there's quite a few spots where like you can just end up following a path that seems to be the best option and then the game just goes nope and you have to turn around it's it's not hard it's just kind of irritating and a little bit dumb Flashman himself is a boss that is fought on an uneven surface. In the original Mega Man, pretty much every boss you fought in just a square room. In a couple of the fights, there would be some super arm blocks on the left side that you could stand on, but otherwise the bosses were all fought in square rooms. In Mega Man 2, that's not so much the case. Flashman's room has different elevations to it. And this is basically the only thing that makes Flashman dangerous, because all he kind of does is walk around, occasionally jump at you, trying to run at you. And if you leave him alive for a certain amount of time, he will eventually freeze time and then throw a spray of bullets in front of himself. If you have a sense of when he's going to do this, you can literally just jump and be airborne while you're frozen in time. It doesn't matter. Again, not a very, very difficult boss at all. Not a difficult stage either. Kind of ending off the simple stages is Woodman Stage, which is environmentally actually probably the prettiest in the game. It's It basically is a stage set in a forest and with you passing through like a gigantic tree environment and stuff. It's, it's a very nice scenario. You even go like across the treetops at one point. There's also a variety of enemies here who all have distinctive designs based around like rabbits or gorillas or birds oh god the birds okay i have to i have to pause and talk about the birds for a moment because this is an enemy type that shows up in a few different Mega Man games it's a small bird carrying an egg that flies from the top of the screen and when it gets close to Mega Man, it will drop that egg and if the egg collides with the ground it will hatch into basically a swarm of small birds that will immediately home in on your location if 
you can eliminate the bird, or especially the egg, before it hits the ground, you will be fine. Otherwise, this thing is guaranteed to hit you, and there's a number of stages throughout multiple Mega Man games where this enemy exists, and you're going to be dealing with tiny platforms, or just like, it's going to basically require you to know that the enemy's about to spawn in order to deal with the egg in time before it breaks, because it's very difficult. Like, it is a widespread of these birds that are then homing in on your exact location. It's just a pain in the neck enemy. It's one of my least favorites in the entire Mega Man franchise. And this is where it first appears, so it's not the only stage in this game where it is at, but Woodman himself is little bit less simple. He's one of the first bosses in the series to use a shield, which is to say his basic pattern is to generate himself a shield of leaves, stand around in it while a bunch of leaves fall just across the screen in general that you have to dodge as they swing back and forth. And he will then throw the shield of leaves at you, which is basically a large ring projectile you need to jump over fairly precisely. Then he will jump forward and he will just rinse and repeat. It's an extremely predictable pattern. There's no randomness to it, which is actually a little bit weird for this game. Most of these bosses are extremely adaptive or random, and Woodman, by comparison, is extremely static. But with the fact that he protects himself with that ring of leaves, he's actually a moderately tricky boss if you do not bring in a weapon that can beat him quickly. That said, there's like three different weapons he's weak to. You really want to come into Woodman's stage armed with something. Now, through this part, I've been discussing most of these stages as fairly simple. These have been the fairly easy stages. The other four Robot Master stages in Mega Man 2 are probably more where this game gets its reputation. The first stage we'll discuss is Airman. Airman stage is pretty much an entire stage set where you can just fall to your death at pretty much any time. In spite of that, the platforming is actually not that bad, but it does require you to use a little bit of patience to get through it. There's a lot of spots where there are the birds that will interrupt you if you try to just run forward and probably cause you to fall into pits. There are a variety of moving platforms that you need to pay attention to, or platforms that have like extending and retracting spikes that you need to wait on. Not the instant-kill sort of spikes, fortunately. There's also an enemy type here that will either pull or push you away from themselves, which is a gimmick that we'll see in a few of the different games as we go. But the stage is not necessarily the hard part of Airman, even if there's a lot of potentially dangerous things in it. Airman himself is the dangerous part of the stage. What he does is he stands in a corner and shoots a spread of tornadoes. These tornadoes land in random positions in front of him, wait a couple moments, and then dash forward while also shoving you against the far wall. These tornadoes have the effect of bouncing off anything that hits them, and that is what makes Airman really, really difficult. Because it is a random spread of attacks, there's actually not really a good guarantee that it is possible to not take damage from Airman's attack. He is fairly vulnerable to most weapons, but also because these tornadoes will deflect every single weapon in the game. You also kind of have to hope that they line up in a way that you actually have a decent shot at him. This is a fight that is honestly best basically raced by trying to get up in his face and just kill him before he kills you. 
which is kind of weird for a Mega Man boss. Most of them you can get into like a predictable rhythm, expect them to function a certain way. Airman can just hit you if he feels like it, and that's kind of really weird by series standards. But once you accept that that's how the fight is going to go and just aim to rush him down, he isn't as bad. On the more difficult for the stage reasons, uh, we go to Crash Man. And if Flash Man's stage is a little bit abstract in being what it was, Crash Man's stage is one of the first stages that I, I, I cannot see any connection to what he is supposed to be, because I don't, I don't know what a giant tower made of weird interwoven cables is supposed to represent and i think it leads out into space and that makes it even weirder i don't have a good explanation of what crash man stage is supposed to be one thing to note about the stage is that it is a largely vertical stage like elec man's there's a few opportunities for you to lose some progress it is also a stage that uses uh respawning enemies to be a pain in the neck especially while you are climbing ladders. Those birds come back, by the way, the birds with the eggs. They, Depending on which ladder you are climbing, they may literally drop the egg in a place that it is in a wall and immediately shatters. Like, this this stage is what you want to come to with a variety of weapons from the other stages just to make things not suck. Crashman himself, if you can get through his stage, is actually not that bad, though. He just kind of walks around and whenever you jump or shoot, he will try to jump over you and fire a crash bomb at your current location, which is like a little mine that hangs out in the spot that it hits and then explodes for a couple seconds. Because of the fact that he can only fire one of these at a time, he's actually not that bad. If you can make it through the stage to reach him, you can learn him somewhat reliable. The two most dangerous stages in the game, though, uh, the first one I would give to Heatman stage. This... Mm. Enemy-wise, this is an extremely simple stage. It has respawning enemies, but they're really not that bad. They're they're easy to work around as long as you continue moving. The big problem is that the second half of the stage is a long chain of the Yoku blocks. I mentioned these previously in Iceman stages, what made Iceman stage one of the hardest. Yoku blocks is the term for a block that appears and then another block appears, and then another block appears. As this happens, the first ones start disappearing. There's no indication visually in the stage of where these blocks are going to appear or disappear. They're just going to do it. They are in fixed locations, so it's not like it's not possible to learn it. But oftentimes, if you don't know that a block is going to appear in a certain location next, you may not necessarily have the time you need to react to and jump to it. And for the first while in Heatman stage, these blocks follow a very simple and straightforward pattern. You're not in any danger. If, if you fail to jump on them correctly, you are standing over the floor. It's fine. And eventually it reaches a point where you are crossing over a magma pit and then just a regular pit, both of which will instant kill you, so it's really just cosmetic. You are crossing over these while having to do a chain of these Yoku blocks that lasts about 15 to 20 seconds. And naturally, there is a point in this at which the game will trip you up by dropping the next block in sequence directly over your head, so it is extremely hard to jump up on it if you didn't know it was there, and if you didn't, you're probably dead. And it's... Mm, it's irritating. This was actually the single like the single section of this game that I got the most frustrated with, and you, you can bring items from other stages to make this easier. We'll get to those when we get to the gearing out 
of Mega Man in this game. But who boy. As far as the individual stage designs for the Robot Masters, Heatman's is my least favorite because it's beyond that Yoku Block segment, it's also not a terribly interesting stage. It's got some decent music to it, but it's just not an interesting stage. Heatman himself is kind of a more interesting boss. Left alone, he will lob three fire shots into the air that will create fire pillars for a moment where they land, and then he'll just keep doing this. Every time you hit him, however, he will then go invincible for a couple seconds and then dashes a fireball to your location before rinsing and repeating. Because of the fact that he reacts in a very specific way to getting hit, he is one of the first bosses in the series that is actually completely controllable. Being able to loop a boss by striking it in a specific way or with a specific weapon and get a predictable response out of it is something that we will see with a number of bosses as we go throughout the series. And Heatman was the first one that I immediately was like, oh yeah, okay, I can just, I can just catch him in a loop here. You don't even need to necessarily use his weakness to do it. You can just do that with the regular buster. It'll just be faster if you use his weakness. If you know Mega Man 2, you've probably figured out by now which stage I haven't talked about, and that's Quake Man stage. You know you're in for it when a stage has a 1-up in its first room. The majority of Quake Man stage doesn't have anything that interesting in it in terms of enemies. In fact, there's like maybe five enemies in this entire stage. The actual danger of Quick Man stage is that it is a falling stage, where as you fall through large stretches of the stage, horizontal lasers will come across the screen. And these lasers are instant death. If you do not outrun these lasers successfully, you are toast, that's it. As you might imagine, if you're not ready for this, this is going to kill you. This segment is probably one of the more famous in Mega Man 2 for its difficulty, but truth be told, didn't have a lot of problems with it. And, and here's the thing. One thing I haven't really gotten into with the Mega Man series is how it handles room transition, which is to say how it handles moving from one screen to another. If it's a long screen, the game will scroll like you would expect of a traditional platformer keeping the camera centered on your character. But when you reach the edge of a given room, the game will pause for a moment as the screen kind of slides over into place to display the next room, and Mega Man transfers over with it, and then play will resume. This includes as you are falling through this laser segment in Quick Man stage. At the end of each screen, you'll pause, the screen will scroll up, and you'll actually have a brief glimpse at what the next screen looks like before the action resumes, and you have to book it down to the bottom of the screen again. Because the direction you are traveling in all of these screens is the same, i.e. you're heading to the bottom, because you have these few moments to actually look at the screen that's coming up, you can actually respond to this stage's existence once you see, like, once you understand, like, okay, this is just, I just have to race to the bottom. This gimmick reappears in certain other games in the series that we, I don't think we'll get to them for quite a while, but it does reappear and this screen-scrolling method is not necessarily a part of those games. And it makes the return of the Quickman lasers in those games actually much, much more dangerous and difficult to deal with than it is in the original Quickman stage. While Quickman's stage itself is actually very predictable, Quickman himself isn't really. What he does a lot of is run around randomly, jump around. Sometimes he just spends a few seconds running into the walls, Occasionally, he'll throw out a small spread of boomerangs that is tricky to avoid. It can be a little frustrating to hit him because of how random he is, but he is not a particularly durable boss, so he does go down quick at least, thank goodness. If he didn't, he would probably become an actually frustrating finale to the stage. Now that we've covered the different 
robot masters in their stages, let's talk about the goods you get from them. I think we'll try to make a tradition of going from, like, worst to best, just because that sounds like fun to me. So naturally, let's talk about the atomic fire from Heat Man. This is, to me, the least useful weapon in this game. The atomic fire just shoots a projectile in front of you that is basically like your regular buster. If you hold down the button, however, Mega Man begins flashing and then flashing quicker and quicker and quicker. This results in the shot being a little bit larger and also dealing much more damage. On the bosses that Atomic Fire works on, a fully charged shot can actually deal half of a boss's health, which is actually fairly respectable. The problem is that the ammo consumption of Atomic Fire also scales with the amount of charge. In other words, if you're firing a fully charged shot and it's dealing half of a boss's health, you'd better hit with that because it also just consumed half of Atomic Fire's weapon energy. And if you use less than fully charged shots, then if you try accidentally charging too much for how much ammo you would have, the charge will just immediately end and you will just lose it. It's This is a clunky weapon, it's a poor weapon in terms of ammo efficiency, realistically you're going to use it like for two shots? It is the first instance in the series of a chargeable weapon, which in a couple of games, Mega Man's basic buster is going to gain the ability to be charged, which is going to be a, a key mechanic throughout the entire series. But this prototypal version is so expensive and so slow to charge to its full value, it's just not really worth it. I don't think I ever found myself actively using this thing. Technically, it is a weakness to Woodman, but Woodman himself has multiple weaknesses to other better weapons. The next weapon of choice for this would be the Crash Bomb. The Crash Bomb is a forward projectile that will stick onto a wall if it doesn't directly hit an enemy and then spend a few seconds detonating. And if you can somehow catch something in the detonation that lingers as opposed to hitting up the projectile itself, it will deal good damage. In fact, it'll deal really good damage. Otherwise, it's kind of poor. This is a weapon that you get about eight shots out of before it is out of ammunition, and those eight shots are not necessarily going to do much for you, or at least nothing much that you couldn't do with another weapon. Now, there are a couple of bosses in the game that are particularly vulnerable to this. Quick Man takes just as much damage per Crash Bomb as it costs you to use Crash Bomb, so if you can land the hit on Quick Man or accidentally catch him with the explosion, you're actually going to be in a good state. Otherwise, the main use of Crash Bomb is actually in its utility. Much like how the Super Arm had blocks that it was intended to remove that were obstacles in certain stages, but you really just remove them with the Thunder Beam. There are a number of barriers throughout certain stages that can be destroyed with the Crash Bomb in order to access additional power-ups or just to kind of shortcut your way through the stage. Unfortunately, this only appears in a couple of the other Robot Master stages. You can use it for small shortcuts in Heat Man stage, and you can use it for a few shortcuts in Flash Man stage. You do not want to use it during Wily's Castle, and we'll get into that. <laughs> At least this weapon has some usefulness and some use cases, unlike the atomic fire, but it's still not very good. Next up would be the leaf shield, Woodman's weapon. This creates a circle of leaves around you that when you press left or right will launch that circle as a wide projectile and not 
direction. Why is it called the Leaf Shield if it doesn't actually protect you? Who who allowed that? You can't, like, hold on to this weapon either. The moment that you move left or right, it is going to fly off of you. So it's not like you can really use it to, like, protect yourself during a jump or anything either. It's really specific use cases. Now, that said, if you've got, like, a hallway with a bunch of respawn enemies in front of you that are low HP, the Leaf Shield's actually pretty decent at clearing it out. But otherwise, this is a really unremarkable there are some very good shield-type power-ups in the series, and there are some very poor ones, and I definitely think this is one of the poor ones. Bubble lead, or is it bubble lead? I'm not sure which it's supposed to be, but Bubble Man's weapon literally just throws out a bubble as like a tiny little lob in front of you, and then it hits the ground and it rolls along the ground. Not necessarily a particularly special weapon, unless you need to strike something that's on a platform below you, but it is a decently powerful weapon, in spite of the fact that it is a bubble. So if you can actually get up in something's face and spam bubbles at it, tends to do a decent amount of damage. As you might imagine, this thing kicks Heatman's butt in terms of the damage it deals to it, and interestingly is the only weapon capable of hurting the very final boss of this game. We'll get there. The Quick Boomerang from Quick Man is, it's basically identical to the Rolling Cutter, but it has the advantage that it is just very, very quick and not limited to one projectile on screen at a time, which was basically the big thing that held the Rolling Cutter back. The Quick Boomerang is extremely ammo efficient. You can spam it about as much as you would your regular weapon, and it kind of has just a generally better area of effect unless you need to hit something that's far away from you, which makes it a pretty decent weapon for just general use, even if it doesn't seem like it's anything special at first. The Flash Stopper is next from Flashman. Flashman had the ability to pause time, and that's basically what you pick up from him. Now, one thing that is bad about this weapon is that when you use it, it will drain all of its gauge, and its duration will be equivalent to the amount of energy it had when you use it. You also cannot switch weapons while it is active, which means once you choose to use it, you have committed to using it for the next bit. But that said, stopping time can actually be fairly useful. There's a few hazards where it can definitely make it much easier to get through the section. Enemies are going to be stopped, especially if they're like respawning enemies, they won't be respawning while it's around. The most notable use of it typically is to get through Quickman stage, because the lasers literally will not even start spawning while time is stopped, and the fall through Quickman stage even has uh, weapon energy capsules that you can pick up. Otherwise, though, this is not an offensive weapon. In fact, the only boss that it hurts is Quickman, who, much like a Spoink, if he stops jumping around, will die, or at least take one health of damage for every two weapon energy worth of the Flash Stopper's duration. The Air Shooter is a fairly decent weapon as well from Airman. It fires off a trio of tornadoes that kind of are basically in a spread upwards from you. Because it is firing off three shots at once, it can actually deal a decent amount of damage, and being able to hit things in a spread above you, that is an area that very few weapons are actually good at hitting. It is a weapon that is very well adapted to two of the bosses that are weak to it. If you get up close enough against Woodman, one of the tornadoes actually spawns beyond Woodman's shield and is able to strike him, making the fight go very, very quick, while the other boss that is weak to it is Crashman, who responds to any attack that you do by jumping into the air and making himself a target, basically putting himself perfectly in the trajectory of the air shooter. This is actually uh, one of the first weapon-boss interactions that I really like in the series, because there are certain times in the series where the weapon that a boss is weak to may be either perfectly adapted towards hitting that boss, or may be terribly incapable of actually hitting the boss that it is used against. And Air Shooter is definitely one of the best matchups in that regard. 
Naturally, I have been saving the best weapon for last. It is nobody's surprise that the Metal Blade is the best weapon in this game. The Metal Blade is a quick, decently powerful projectile that is effectively your Mega Buster, but throwable in any of the eight directions, just by what direction you're holding when you press the button. It is extremely ammo efficient. You can use like 70 Metal Blades or something like that before you run out of energy. There's multiple bosses in this game are weak to it. Bubble Man is weak to it. Woodman is weak to it. Um, Flashman is weak to it. Quickman? No, wait, Quickman's not weak to it. But tons of regular enemies are weak to it. Several of the Wily stage fights it works really well on, and because of the fact that it has so much ammunition, you can use it on so much. Unless something is actively deflecting Metal Blade, chances are Metal Blade is one of the best weapons to deal with that enemy. Like, many of the other weapons that I've just covered are not really bad weapons, but the metal plate is such a good weapon that you almost don't need anything else. Now, moving away from the direct boss weapons, if you remember Mega Man 1, there was also the Magnet Beam to find. Uh, in Mega Man 2, after beating certain bosses, you will also be granted item 1, item 2, and item 3. Great name choices, guys. Really creative. Each of these items is a dedicated utility power that spawns some sort of automated platform that you can use. Item 1 is literally just a small platform placed in front of your buster that slowly rises up for a few seconds before vanishing. Item 2 creates a small jet rocket that you can then jump on and it will carry you forward across the stage until it hits a wall, until it runs out of energy, whatever. Item 3 shoots a single bouncing platform that jumps ahead until it reaches a wall. When it reaches that wall, it begins scaling that wall and allows you to ride on it to essentially cross however much height you need to. Item 1 is pretty useful in general in getting through the Robot Master stages. Item 2 can be useful, but probably the stage where it would be most useful. Well, it's definitely useful in Heatman stage. The other stage where I think it would be most useful is Airman stage, but you get it from Airman stage, so that's already gone. Most of the stages in this game are actually designed in such a way that these additional platforms don't really help you that much. The real value in these weapons is in getting yourself through the Wily stages, which that's where we're going next, and we're going to see where there's a problem with this. Let's head to Wily's Fortress. <laughs> Wily's Fortress begins with a scene that becomes kind of iconic throughout the Mega Man series. This time, when Wily flies off in his UFO, it doesn't just jump immediately into the stage. Instead, we actually see Wily's UFO flying off to a cutscene panoramic shot of the outside of his fortress. In the fortress, we are treated to basically a map in advance, showing us how many stages we have to go through, and also detailing as we reach each stage what the path to the next stage is going to actually physically look like. If the path says we're going to the right, then down, then left, well, that's the actual shape of the stage that we're about to be doing. It's actually been always one of my favorite little things in these classic Mega Man games, is just this whole scene adding a sense of an understanding of how far you are in the Wily Castle gauntlet and setting you up for what you're about to face. Stage 1, in addition to kind of kicking off a music track that probably is the most famous from Mega Man 2, we'll get into that, is actually a very interesting visual stage in that it's like scaling into 
the fortress from outside. You'll be climbing up parapets and through like a wall on the outside of the fortress where you can see spots that like enemies might fire from from the comfort of safety. It feels a little bit like you're actually raiding a fortress, which is nice. It also has a couple of different rooms where you need to use weapon one and weapon three in order to proceed. A room where you have to cross a large gap diagonally using multiple item ones in a row and... <sighs> Listen, I'm going to get this out of the way right now. If there is a place where I think Mega Man 2 screws up, it is in the Wily stages. Not because most of the Wily stages are bad, but because so many of the Wily stages require very specific weapons. If you ever run out of weapon energy for these weapons, you are screwed. You need to game over. I mentioned this as weapon screw in the first game because you could end up in that situation potentially in Wily's Castle in the first game. It was unlikely to happen, but it could. The Wily Fortress in Mega Man 2, oh god, almost every single one of these stages, you can end up having to force a game over in order to recharge your weapon energy, which is like, it is defeating of the fact that there is a live system. It is particularly punishing because you lose your energy tanks. It's, it's, and it just, it just feels bad as a player to lose, not because you have necessarily, like, died too many times and get set back, but you lose because you failed to have the weapon energy for it. And there isn't checkpoints right before many of these bosses. If you die during a boss fight, you are probably getting put back to before a room that's going to require the item energy. So, if you failed to have that spare item energy, GG. It, mm, really unfortunate. And and here's the deal, too, is the stage one is going to be bad for it because the boss is really tough. This is not a Yellow Devil instance where it is particularly brutal, but it isn't easy either. It's the dragon. As you reach the top of this wall and start entering into the fortress, you're going to jump across a lot of very simple platforms. Partway through, this will turn into an auto-scroller, and your instinct might be to just like back up and give yourself some room to look ahead before you start jumping. And if you do that, you'll be instant killed when the dragon teleports in and destroys the back platforms. <laughs> it's literally a big, fat robot dragon who chases you for a bit, and then the boss music will start playing, and you can turn around and actually blast him. You can use pretty much whatever weapon you want. Metal blades or the quick boomerang are the usual go-tos, because they can fire very rapidly, and this boss has no invincibility frames. However, you have to fight him while on a small selection of only three little squares of land, he randomly throws fireballs that can very easily knock you off of these squares, and if you're too far forward trying to protect yourself and the dragon bumps into you, you, you just die. He just one-shots you. This is, yeah, this is definitely one of the fights that gave Mega Man 2 its difficulty reputation, for sure. Stage 2 kind of resembles Metal Man's stage visually. It, it isn't anything terribly interesting in terms of design by comparison. This time you do need weapon 3 and weapon 2 in order to progress, including crossing a large spread of spikes just with weapon 2. If you don't have enough energy to cross the gap, well, GG. Once again, it isn't a terribly interesting stage. The boss fight at the end is kind of interesting. You drop into a room it's a little smaller than usual, with a whole bunch of blocks making up the walls and the floor. These blocks will conjoin from alternate sides, come together and form an enemy that's going to dash at you quickly and has to be dealt with as quickly as possible, and you deal with like 12 or 13 of these things before it's just done. It's kind of a neat concept. If you don't think to take advantage of the Metal Blade's 8-directional firing, sometimes they spawn in spots that are really hard to kill before they reach you, but also lull Metal Blade. 
Wily's Castle Stage 3, much like Mega Man 1 Stage 3, is a boring water level. This time it's just like, ooh, there's spikes in the water. Better not accidentally tap them with your foot or you will explode. If you take this stage mostly slow, it is fairly simple and straightforward and you're not really in much danger. There's also, like, no real enemies here. This The, the good thing about this one is that it's a breather. There's, there's no mandatory item use here. This is one of the only stages you cannot get weapons screwed on, but it's really bland once again. The boss is kind of fun, though. It basically what looks like a gigantic guts man attached to, like, a set of tank treads, and you actually need to jump up on top of the treads and pelt his head in order to defeat him. On occasion, he will raise up a fist that will block your attacks, or Mantars will jump out of his chest and need to be dealt with. Mostly, you just want to jump up there and break out the quick boomerang and pelt him down as fast as you can. Stage 4, in terms of the stage, is also not weapon scree, and is actually a really cool stage as well. It consists of a vertical climb followed by a vertical fall. The vertical climb section is interesting in that it takes advantage of fake floors. There are segments where it looks like there will be ground, but there's actually nothing. The trick that you are supposed to realize in the first couple rooms, before you have to cross over a spike pit with no idea what floors are fake, is that the bubble lead tracks along the ground. This means that when it passes over a fake floor, it will visibly fall through the floor, meaning that you can actually tell where the holes in the ground are. I actually love the fact that this is basically a puzzle you are supposed to use a property of your weapon to solve. I love this. The descending section isn't quite so neat. It is not a falling section, but like you might expect. You're actually supposed to land on moving platforms that take long paths through the rooms and just deal with respawning enemies, but at least it's something. It's not just like a blind fall section, or it's not like a, another section of quick command lasers. It's at least trying something. But anyway, no mandatory weapon use. You think we're safe from weapon energy? Screw you are wrong. Here's the worst case of it. It's the boss. The boss of Wily's Castle Stage 4 is the turrets. The turrets are... They are what they are. They're stuck to walls in this, like, puzzle-shaped room that has a bunch of platforms and crash bomb walls. And every few seconds, they will open up and shoot exactly at your location and almost certainly hit you, dealing a set amount of damage, kind of acting as sort of a time limit for the fight. This would not be that bad. The problem is, is that in addition to needing to blow up crash bomb walls in order to access these enemies, they also can only be destroyed by being hit with a crash bomb. The crash bomb runs out of ammunition after eight shots. If you have used crash bomb ammunition in earlier parts of Hylie's Fortress, I hope you picked up some weapon energy to refill them, because unless you use some glitches or are, like, really careful and lucky with the positioning of certain shots, you're gonna need an entire gauge of crash bomb energy in order to actually defeat all of these enemies successfully. And if you run out mid-fight, that's it. There is nothing you can do. And in fact, if you run out mid-fight, you have to wait for them to kill you, and then you have to go die another couple times in order to trigger a game over to get your weapon energy back. And all this presumes, of course, that you realize that you can skip some of the crash bomb walls using item 1, 2, and 3 if you still have some ammunition from them from the previous stages, and that you're going to need to have to do this in order to actually have enough crash bomb shots to kill them all. Like, ugh. The only reason this boss didn't frustrate me more was that I knew this was coming. I remembered this from being a kid. I know there's a lot of people out there who are going to be like, listen, just get good at the game. I beat them on my first try, but again, because I knew it was coming. It's not even fun having to game over. It's just an extra layer of punishment. It's like having to watch a cutscene that's 10 minutes long before you get another try at the boss. It's not interesting difficulty. It's just punishing in an unfun and uninteresting way, okay? 
Like, I will tell you right now, I really enjoyed this game. I, I had a lot of fun with it. But Weapon Screw in Wily's Fortress is the game's biggest practical issue, hands down. If you've just adjusted to the point where that doesn't feel like that's a problem anymore, great, but it's still a problem. Here's the thing, is like, there has been several spots in the previous stages where you would use the crash bomb to get to extra lives or energy tanks and stuff. Like, the game has been trying to bait you into a situation where you will have to game over in order to actually have the weapon energy to even have a legitimate spot shot at spot. I hate it, okay? I just... I hate this boss. Anyway, stage 5. Stage 5 isn't really a stage so much as it is a room. Stage 5 is the first teleporter boss gauntlet. Refighting the bosses is not anything new to Mega Man. We did that in the first game, but this time you enter a room that just has eight teleporters in it, and each teleporter leads you to a refight with each of the different bosses. This time you have your full arsenal to bring with you, or at least whatever you still have from any previous stages if you haven't game over it yet. So there are couple fun things to talk about in this stage, though. For one, it does checkpoint after every single one of these bosses. If you die partway through this gauntlet, the game will remember, hey, you already killed three bosses, you don't have to go back and refight them. Unlike the first game, where you would have to fight each of the bosses, like, again, because they were just one room after one room. Second, every time you defeat one of these bosses, they do drop a large energy capsule, so you can refill your health. If you're already standing on the teleporter back when you defeat them, you are not going to have a chance to pick these up. But otherwise, you know, this is a courtesy that the game is providing you, and it's actually quite welcome, and becomes the standard in the series to have the opportunity to recharge your HP between refights. The third thing that's lots of fun is Metal Man develops an additional weakness. The Metal Blade is so good that it kills its own wielder in two hits. Literally every Metal Blade deals half of Metal Man's HP whenever you hit him with it. It's the dumbest easter egg in this game, and I love it. After defeating all eight of them, a teleporter will appear to the fight with the Wily Machine. It's a slight variant of the Wily Machine from the first game, in that it's still a big hunk of metal that just moves back and forth and occasionally fires at you. In phase one, it fires a low curved shot that you just jump over. It fires it at a predictable rate, so it's very easy to jump over. In phase two, it fires bouncing balls that travel along the ground. Depending on how it's moving and when it decides to fire these, sometimes it can be nearly impossible to actually dodge them, so you're on a bit of a timer. Plus, you're dealing with like only having life energy or weapon energy that's been left over from when you've been fighting the bosses, so that affects things too. A common weapon to use against this form is the Metal Blade. This is also like maybe the one case where the atomic fire can put out some decent numbers, because I think this boss actually has a weakness to atomic fire, where atomic fire deals a bit more than the weapon energy that you use to attack with it, but also the boss has two entire life gauges, so atomic fire is still not going to be sufficient to destroy it by itself. The Probably the best weapon to use against it is the crash bomb, which you may very well be out of from that pain in the neck boss we just got through, but if, you, if you've game over and you have some crash bomb to spare, fire it not at the boss's like vulnerable weak point, but below it. This will cause the crash bomb to actually explode, and if you catch the weak point in that explosion, uh, it can deal damage multiple times and just destroy a phase of this boss almost instantly. Otherwise, because of how hard it is to dodge the attacks in the second phase, this boss can be kind of nasty. But as long as you can figure out a weapon that works for you and can defeat it quick enough, you'll probably be fine. Unlike in Mega Man 1, however, the game is not over. And despite what the Wily's Fortress map may have displayed of five stages, there's actually a sixth one. In stage six, there's no music. You fall into a rocky cavern beneath the fortress. The only sound is the drip, drip, drip of this, like, 
blood-colored acid stuff dripping down from the ceiling that'll hurt you if it hits you. There's no enemies. Just a couple rooms that you traverse of this before reach the boss gate and find Dr. Wily, who, in the middle of a starry background, floats up into the air and transforms into an alien? What? I'm not making that up. He transforms into an alien. He begins flying around the arena in basically the shape of an infinity symbol and occasionally fires a bullet at you. Extremely simple boss fight. Very dangerous. Touching this boss or getting hit by any of his bullets does a ton of damage to you, and the only way that you can actually hurt this boss is with the bubble lead, which, by the way, this boss is airborne, and the bubble lead basically has a tiny range before it just drops to the ground. So you kind of have to risk getting up in this guy's face in order to actually hurt Dr. Wily alien thing. But it isn't that bad. The bullets it fires are on a completely predictable pace, so it isn't that hard to get used to it. Fun fact, by the way, if you hit him with any other weapon, he actually heals, which is the dumbest thing, because if somehow you have run out of bubble lead ammunition, you now have to game over. You know, one final weapon screw for the road. <laughs> but anyway, hit the alien Dr. Wily enough times with the bubble lead, and the equipment will short-circuit and reveal that actually, this was just a hologram that Dr. Wily was tricking you with, and the actual Dr. Wily is just handling the controls in the back Wizard of Oz style. When Mega Man realizes that's what's going on, Wily realizes the jig is up, gives up, and that's... that's it. That's Mega Man 2. <laughs> We're then treated randomly to a scene of Mega Man just walking a whole bunch while seasons pass in a random rural village somewhere, and then that's it. The credits play- what? That's a- like, it's a peaceful ending, but what? What? <laughs> So, the mystery of Dr. Wily is in fact not that Dr. Wily is an alien. That didn't actually happen. But we're still not sure that Dr. Wily is not, in fact, eight different kids in a trench coat, given that Dr. Wily made these robots and eight different people made these robots, so... Anyway, Wily said that Mega Man 1 did not have a great soundtrack because of the fact that it used smaller loops. By Mega Man 2, the composers had figured out a little bit how to handle the NES's sound font and how to do, like, longer compositions, so much of the music in Mega Man 2 does not fall prey to that issue. That isn't to say it's all great, but it's generally better than what came before. One thing that is weird to me is that there is only one boss theme in Mega Man 2. I think it's the only Mega Man game that has one boss theme. There isn't even a separate boss theme for the different Wily machines. Whereas, at least the original Mega Man did have a different boss theme that played once you were in Dr. Wily's robot factory. Mega Man 2 doesn't have that. It only has the one boss theme, and that's weird. But, here's three tracks that I think are particularly worth noting. One I'm putting on here reluctantly, because to be honest, I personally don't like it that much, but the melody of the first Dr. Wily stage theme is really, really recognizable. Uh, it's, it's used all the time in videos when people talk about Mega Man 2 or in games where people are referencing Mega Man 2. Famously, this is the song that plays in a long part of I Wanna Be The Guy that is probably why I am sick of hearing this song, but here it is anyway. song I do think is super great and has a really catchy melody and is also one of the longer tracks 
in this game soundtrack is Crashman Stage, which has it really has like a melody in places it wants to go and an adventure it wants to take you on music. I don't I don't have good words for describing music, but it's memorable. my favorite actual song from Mega Man 2 has to be Bubble Man stage of all things. There's just there's a really good underlying rhythm to it. There's there's an energy to it and something that is just straight up bubbly and enjoyable like I I I just really like Bubble thoughts on Mega Man 2. Uh, this is a game that pretty much deserves its fame. I don't think it's the flawless work of art that some people tend to treat it as, but no game on the NES was. And when Nintendo Power decided that Mega Man 2 was one of their top 10 games to ever be released on the NES, I understand it. The weapon selection, I mean, minus a couple stinkers, the weapon selection is overall pretty good, they're not really environmentally interactive in an interesting way. They're practical. They're fun to use. The bosses are varied in how they're handled. They tend to be very adaptive as opposed to like just completely memorizable, which I enjoy. The stages are very visually distinct. The soundtrack's pretty strong. I, I do think the game starts to fall apart throughout most of the Dr. Wily stages, but like I said, no game needs to be perfect. Would I recommend this? Listen, if you are looking for a classic Mega Man game and you want an actual classic Mega Man game to play, yeah, I think you should probably play Mega Man 2. Like, it is considered by many people to be a definitive, if not the definitive, Mega Man experience, so I'm not honestly going to disagree with that after coming back to it. I I wasn't really sure where I would fall, because my memories of Mega Man 2 were very old, and I didn't remember enjoying it a whole ton as a kid. I don't think this is going to be what I'm going to call my favorite in the series anytime soon, but I think this is... This is the game that really defined Mega Man and what Mega Man was going to be by refining it. If Mega Man 1 was the experiment, this is the one that showed, okay, well, this is what these games are going to look like from now on, and that's that's important, and it was well done, and this game was loved for a reason. So next time, we'll be heading into the 90s. We're not yet at the point where Capcom begins releasing spin-off games, so naturally, we'll be going on to Mega Man 3. So... If, if you liked what you've heard and want to get in touch for any feedback or whatever reason, I am available at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at whatamipodcast4 with the number 4 because Twitter character limits. If you are looking for a feed or direct downloads, try waipf.podbean.com or check out your distribution method of choice. I think we should be on most of those. Thanks for listening, and remember, Heatman might look like he got stuck in a Christmas gift box and couldn't get out, 
but he was also probably designed by a small child, and I think that's adorable. The Quick Boomerang from Quick Man is basically identical to the Metal Calder from the previous... from... Uh, the Metal... No. The Boomerang Cutter thing that Cutman had, that I don't remember the actual... The Rolling Cutter, that's the one. 